stories. Stories told by you. Hi, my name's Abigail Ullman, and this is a true story called Diary of a Tumbleweed. I'd been in Paris for a week when someone told me about the bookshop. It sounded too incredible to actually be real. I simultaneously didn't believe it could exist and immediately hopped on the metro to go find out. The shop sat near the banks of the Seine, right opposite Notre Dame Cathedral. I stood out the front and examined the place. Two stories with a green and yellow facade, a courtyard out front with bookshelves filled with books for sale, and the name of the shop above the door in big black letters, Shakespeare and Company. Hi, um, I heard that you guys do a thing where people can work in the bookshop and in exchange they get to stay here. And I'm wondering... The girl I spoke with was the owner's daughter, Sylvia, who asked me a few questions about where I was from and what I was doing in Paris. When I said I wanted to be a writer someday, she said I could stay. I did want to be a writer someday. Back in Melbourne, I'd been working full-time in a retail job, and on my days off, I'd gone to the library and written the first chapter of a novel. Then I rewrote it. I rewrote it and rewrote it, but I couldn't work out how to get beyond that point. After over a year of trying and failing to get to chapter two, I quit my job, bought a backpack and a one-way plane ticket, moved out of my share house and went away. Now I was in Paris and, to be honest, I hadn't got much writing done so far. I knew that lots of Australian writers had gone abroad to find inspiration for their work. Peter Carey, Anna Funder, Dame Edna Everidge, but now I was wondering how they'd managed to do it. Had they, like me, stayed in a super crappy youth hostel, awake all night on the bottom bunk beneath a German sleep mumbler who had really bad foot odour? I was having a great time, but the only writing I'd managed to do on my trip so far was a few postcards home, the occasional email, and my travel diary. I moved into the shop the next day. I crammed my backpack into an overflowing closet and looked around. A sprawling bookshop of several rooms downstairs, with a cash box instead of a register, a wishing well in the middle of the back room, and a sign over the doorway that read, Be not inhospitable to strangers, lest they be angels in disguise. Up some wooden stairs, there were more rooms full of books, a tiny alcove with a typewriter in it, and the front room, which was a library with wooden benches running along two walls. It was all my idea of an absolute heaven, except for the tiny cockroaches in the typewriter room. The bookshop had quite a few beds, in the Russian history section, the children's section, the philosophy section. During the day they were covered with books for sale, and at night they became sleeping spots for the people staying there. The tumbleweeds, as we were known. On my first night, there were about a dozen tumbleweeds at the shop, more people than there were beds. So I fell asleep on one of the benches in the library, under a blanket that probably hadn't been washed since the 1970s. I was woken a couple of hours later by a French-Canadian guy who stumbled in tipsy with a bottle of red wine. We drank the wine and smoked cigarettes and talked for hours about books and art and how Michael Moore was right about absolutely everything. And by the end of the night, we were kissing. That pretty much set the tone for my next few months in Paris. Shakespeare and Company was founded in 1951 by an American expatriate named George Whitman. The store was originally called Le Mistral, until George renamed it Shakespeare and Company in homage to an earlier English-language bookshop in Paris, opened by Sylvia Beach. That shop had been a meeting place for writers of the lost generation, including Ernest Hemingway, Gertrude Stein and James Joyce, 
whose book Ulysses, Sylvia Beach first published. Eleven years after Sylvia's shop closed, George Whitman opened his shop on the left bank, and it became the literary centre for a new generation of expats in post-war Paris, including members of the Beat generation like Allen Ginsberg and William Burroughs. George envisaged the store as a socialist utopia disguised as a business, and from early on he encouraged young aspiring writers to sleep, work and write at the shop. No pressure or anything. I quickly settled into the rhythm of Shakespeare and Company. We woke up in the very late morning, opened the shop at midday, and were required to work for two hours at some time during the day, stocking shelves or tending the register. We then had to be back at the shop to close it up at midnight. The rest of the time was ours, and George encouraged us to explore Paris, to go to museums and parks, to learn some French, and to sit in the bookshop and read. We did all of those things. We also drank many shots of espresso at the counter of a nearby cafe, sometimes because we wanted coffee and sometimes because there wasn't a toilet with running water at the bookshop and we really had to pee. We drank gallons of red wine out of glass yogurt jars and we stored our cheese out on the windowsill to keep it cold. There was no shower at the shop, so we would traipse to the public municipal showers, a vestige of socialist France, where we'd pay a euro to stand under the water and press a button every 90 seconds to ensure the shower would keep running. We were an international group of people, mostly in our 20s and 30s, all obsessed with writing. Back home in Australia, I rarely told people I met that I wanted to be a writer. It either made me feel like a wanker or a fraud. At Shakespeare and Company, though, you would have been out of place if you didn't have literary aspirations. Everyone said they wanted to be a writer. It wasn't clear who genuinely meant it and who was just a wanker or a fraud, but I didn't care. I was surrounded by like-minded people. And by like-minded, I mean people who were getting drunk, hooking up with other tumbleweeds, crying while drunk because someone had hooked up with the tumbleweed they wanted to be hooking up with, and sometimes reading and talking about books. What stopped it all from descending into complete madness was the owner, George. His expectation was that we were living in his shop to have the time to explore Paris and get writing done. And while he didn't exactly police us, we wanted to honour his trust and generosity by doing just that. George was 90 and eccentric as anything. He was living in an apartment above the bookshop, crammed with books and letters and one-page biographies of people who had stayed at the shop over the decades. Every tumbleweed had to write one. He had fluffy white hair, and he would invite us into his study to watch him give himself a haircut, which actually meant setting his hair on fire with matches and then petting the flames out once it had burned down. He could be endearing and sweet and a little grumpy, razor-sharp and hilarious and then absent-minded. Occasionally, a browsing customer would find a couple of hundred euros tucked inside the pages of a random book, where George had put it and then forgotten. He had a tradition of having a pancake breakfast in his apartment every Sunday for whoever showed up. It was a magical time, everyone crowded in, drinking tea and enjoying his presence. George never washed his frying pan, though, so the trick was to avoid being offered the first pancake, which always tasted of garlic or beans or whatever George had been cooking up during the week. He had a habit of going through our bags when we weren't around. It wasn't uncommon for someone to see George wearing a pair of their pants or shoes. One afternoon, I returned to the shop to discover that George had read my diary and was offended by the fact that I'd sworn in it a few times. 
He called me vulgar and seemed really upset. And I was too taken aback and embarrassed and taken aback to point out the absurdity of reading someone's private diary without their permission and then getting angry about it. We made up a week later when he asked me to help him organise his papers. A task that had begun with him searching for a particular letter from Aeneas Nin and had quickly become overwhelming when he started rifling through the piles of letters sent to him by tumbleweeds of the past. I spent all day with him, reading the bios and thank you notes of people he had housed over the years. I wondered how many of these tumbleweeds had actually written the books they had dreamed up while sleeping under those old blankets, surrounded by other people's published work. I wondered about all the ways, big and small, that they were changed after their time in the shop. I wondered where I would go and what I would do after I left, and how all those Australian writers had managed to transition back into their lives after their time abroad. I wondered if I would ever finish the book that I had started scribbling down, when the shop was closed and the other tumbleweeds were sleeping, and Paris outside the window seemed like it was heaving under the weight of its centuries of stories, but also, maybe, waiting for just one more. George Whitman died five years ago, and his daughter Sylvia still runs the bookshop in the same spirit he did for 60 years. Last year, I went back to Paris for the first time. When I visited the shop, I went up to the library and met the handful of tumbleweeds who were staying there. I was amazed by some of the small and long overdue improvements that Sylvia had made to the place. There's a shower there now, and a toilet, and the blankets get laundered, and the number of people in residence is capped so everyone always gets a bed. The tumbleweeds I met asked me all kinds of questions about George and what the shop had been like back then. How many people had stayed there at one time? How many of us had gone on to become writers? And how were people hooking up with each other when there were CCTV cameras in the shop filming them? Oh, there weren't cameras in the shop back then, I told them. How did they stop people from stealing books? A curly-haired Kiwi girl asked me. They couldn't really. People probably stole books all the time. Whoa. They were staring at me as though I'd lived through some sort of chaotic bohemian golden age. We were no lost generation or beat poets, but I was glad they saw it that way. That's still how it feels to me too. Season 2 is inspired by the new three-part documentary season, Untold Australia. It airs over three weeks, starting 8.30pm, Wednesday 13th of April on SBS. Check out www.sbs.com.au forward slash Untold Australia for more details. True Stories is an SBS online production. Diary of a Tumbleweed was written and read by Abigail Ullman. Music and sound by James Cecil. Executive producer, Kylie Bolton. Producer, Megan Gibbon. Illustrator, Bren Luke. SBS True Stories. Stories told by you.